I'm Anthony Rod. Once again, yeah, you know what time it is. It's the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and the only place to get your Cubs debit card. Get yours today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. I'm Cole Wright, steering the ship here, along with my guys Tony Andracki and Ryan Sweeney. And fellas, well, we know the season, well, it came to a screeching halt courtesy of the Miami Marlins. The Cubs swept out of the wild card round two to zero. Now, Ryan, I know the Cubs, they realized a lot of their season dreams. They wanted to win a division title. And with the 60-game season, we know during this COVID-19 pandemic, there were so many different variables that went into the campaign. So, you know, for the, the Cubs to be able to check that box of winning the division, even though they weren't able to advance past the wild card round, I mean, there's no reason for them to hang their heads right now. No, absolutely. And, you know, it was fun to watch all year. I think with it only being a 60-game season, there was a lot of guys that, you know, would probably look back and say, I wish I could have done better, right? But it was just a totally different situation with with every aspect of every part of the game. I think at the beginning of the year, they started off so hot, and the Cubs being that one team that, you know, pretty much led from the beginning of the year – to the end of the year of their division. They didn't really have anybody that came up, especially with the St. Louis issue and not being able to play games and having to play so many down the line. But yeah, there's nothing for these guys to hold their heads about. Um, for me personally, it was fun covering them, being the first year doing the pre and post game and just being able to, you know, wishing we could go over there and be a little bit more interactive, but being able to go out there and uh, cover in the Cubs every day. I think the fans, uh, you know, it was a good time and good, way to bring back baseball and kind of take your mind off of everything else. Absolutely. I know it was my pleasure to be a part of year one for Marquee Sports Network and the Cubs pre and post game. It was always a pleasure to ride with you, Ryan, whether it was you or Sean Marshall or Ryan Dempster, no matter who it was, we always had fun win, lose or draw covering those Chicago Cubs night in and night out. And Tony, you know, not being able to punch that ticket once they were in the postseason, that's going to be something that the Cubs are surely going to address moving forward. But the fact that this, this season was such an anomaly, 60 games, as strange as it was to see David Ross navigate those choppy waters, it's certainly a feather in his cap. Yeah, it is for sure. And I mean, for all these guys, like obviously the product on the field was very good. Like Ryan said, they won the division and that was their goal to come out and, and win the division for the first time since uh, 2017 here. And and just to to do everything that they accomplished on the field is obviously great. But then the fact, no positive tests. I mean, these guys came into it. We heard Tommy Hadovy's story at the beginning of summer camp and, and how he battled this virus and how it affected his family and how emotional that was. And then obviously Mike Napoli, the Cubs quality assurance coach, was delayed to camp because of all that. And then after that, nothing, which is amazing, you know, and like that's these things that are bigger than baseball. Like you have that out there and the Cubs accomplished that this year. They they didn't have any positive tests. They laid out for, for themselves and for the organization what they deemed acceptable and not away from the field. And they followed that all the way through. So, you know, very commendable for sure. And then, yeah, to, to do what they did on the field, to, to provide 60 games of entertainment for everybody, to, to win the division, to start out really hot, as Ryan said, too. Like, to do all of that and get to the point where they're playing in the postseason for the fifth time in six years, it is, it's exactly what, what you would have hoped for. It's what any fan, I think, would have signed up for had, they, had we told them on, like, March 1st or, or April 1st when we knew this pandemic was coming that this is what would happen I think everybody would have signed up for that 
Yeah, the Cubs playing meaningful baseball in October. That's really all you can ask for, and that's exactly what David Ross and the Cubs were able to bring the Cubs fans this season. As crazy as it was, you know, you don't just want to hear my take on it or Ryan's or Tony's take on it. You want to hear what Theo, the man in charge, the, the Cubs president of baseball operations, has to say. And we know on Monday he gave his end-of-the-season State of the Union address, and uh, he talked about 2020 and just how crazy it actually was from front to back. Let's listen up. I think this year was was different in a lot of ways. Um, you know, same result, unfortunately, down the stretch. But you know, we were we were getting beat in the strike zone um, by fastballs, and and that's not something that had really happened in the past. So, you know, to me, when when really good hitters are getting beat in the strike zone by fastballs, it means they're off. They're they're off, and and um, you know, they don't have their rhythm. They don't have their timing. They're caught in between. They don't have their confidence. They're not locked in with their approach. And if you, obviously, you guys watched us all year. Like we, we were struggling with that all year. Most of our hitters, we were struggling with that all year. And you know, it had been a constant grind to bust out of that slump, um, team wide and individually. A lot of work, um, a lot of creativity, trying to find the answer, and it, it, it just didn't happen. So. It, it wasn't like watching the same thing, except the results were painfully. Um, but, you know, it was, it was more troubling in that, you know, when you get beat by, by fastballs in the zone, then you're, you know, then, then you're, you don't have your foundation as a hitter. And, you know, you're not likely to see a good outcome. So, uh, you know, clearly, clearly that's, that's something that, that, we, that we have to address. And we can't just write it off to a bad moment in time or the unique circumstances while also being mindful that it was really, really hard for these guys to make adjustments this year, you know, look league wide. Um, I think the pressure of making the adjustment, getting out of the slump, knowing that there's only 60 games to play with, uh, wore heavy on a lot of guys and on our guys too, but we, it still happened. It's still real. We have to own it. And, and, um, you know, we have to reclaim that, that's, that offensive foundation of, you know, being on, being on the fastball, owning the strike zone and um, being a much more difficult at bat. And that means that does mean, you know, adding um, different dimensions to our offense going forward. We can't be the same exact type of offense and expect better results. All right, Ryan, we heard what Theo had to say about the craziness that was involved in 2020, the 60-game season. It was a sprint from front to back. And usually we can always say that, hey, a baseball season, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But this year, completely different. Can you put yourself in the shoes of some of those players and imagine what it would actually be like playing in 2020? Because it's like nothing we've ever seen before, no doubt about that. I'd like to say I could, but I don't think I can, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, just there were so many different aspects of this year that were just so different that no one ever, you know, thought would ever happen. You know, I mean, the fans obviously being one of them, but this 60 game schedule and not being able to, you know, have that 162 games. And we were kind of talking, you know, you, it was more of a, a what do you want to say, a team uh, a season more than an individual. But as an individual, you still look up there and, you know, you see you're batting 200, you know, 20 games into the season, and you do probably put a little bit of pressure on you. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that the product on the field from MLB, NFL, whatever it may be with no fans, would probably be subpar. But it was not, personally. I mean, I think it it was everything that we thought it was going to be – 
the MLB did a great job of pumping the sound in, you know, to kind of make it more lifelike over there while they were playing. Um, so for me personally, I didn't really see a change in everybody. Now, you know, you do see the numbers kind of being down and, and um, you know, it, there, it's no reason to make excuses for anybody, but, you know, it, it is a tough sample size to be able to only see somebody in two months of the season. And you look at a guy like Bryant that only played, 20 or 30 games. That's only, that's only, you know, maybe one month of the season during the year. I mean, you look at his numbers and there are guys that hit 200 for one month and then the other months they may hit 350 or 450. So it's just a tough situation and kind of all around just more of a team effort and, you know, look at how the team's doing instead of individual this year. That's what I felt like. Absolutely. And I like the way you touched on the fact that, you know, the, the crowd noise and the way that Major League Baseball was able to put together a season without the fans in, yeah. in attendance. You know, I've got some buddies who are like, oh, man, I can't watch any of these games, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, you know, with no fans in the house. But I'm like, w w why not? The product on the field or on the ice or on the diamond, it's still the same. Are you turning into games just yeah. to see who's in the stands? Like, hey, look who it is. Like, oh, that's, <laughs> there's Hulk Hogan. No, no one's tuning into to games to, to see, oh, hey, look, Eddie Vedder's at a game. Like, when he's there, yes, that's fantastic. But the fact that none of those, those, those same people weren't in the stands or you couldn't look and see one of your friends sitting in the front row of the bleachers, I don't think that took anything away from the actual product on the field. Tony, I don't know about you, man, but uh, I see you got that one chain, so we're going to call you Tony One Chain, as opposed <laughs> to Anthony Rizzo. We know he's holding it down with the Tony Two Chains. But uh, when it came to being able to cover the team in the press box, I know things were a whole lot different. First and foremost, there were no fans in attendance, but for you, being able to go in there every single day, you have to get your temperature checked, you have to make sure those masks are, are firmly strapped down how much different was that from a reporting standpoint I mean amazingly different you know it, like I it, it's hard to even kind of it, it hasn't really set in you know because the one of the best parts about reporting and an integral part of the job is obviously talking to these guys face to face and everything's so much different when you're face to face versus zoom I mean right now even mm -hmm. you guys we're on zoom here and, and you know versus face to face it, it's just a lot different there's a, a a much different vibe talking to a guy after a tough game is a lot different when you're in person trying to talk to them in the clubhouse versus trying to ask a question about the zoom talking about the short season all of that but yeah I mean it really I think what defined this year for me was was the product in the field as Ryan said was amazing but then being there it, I, I don't think I went more than a couple of innings ever without being cognizant of the fact that there were no fans I was always thinking about it with foul balls clanging off empty seats and and you know the the sound noise was great I always felt like there was like you you could almost close your eyes and feel like you're at the ballpark again with regular fans but you knew that there was different and it, it was weird it was weird to walk up in the upper deck of Wrigley Field during the game or, or right before a game and not have any fans and so you know I definitely missed it for sure and that was a the weird part of the season was just the the lack of fans and and how that played out but um yeah to Ryan's point too I mean it, it was very weird to think the 60 game season went so quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Chris Bryant, he played in 34 games The the product that he put on the field was roughly a month's worth. And, and you know, everybody can, and who want to hate on him can get on, on him about these numbers that he put up. But I mean, in, in the final month of his MVP 2016 season, go look at those. Chris Bryant put up almost the exact same numbers, a 221 batting average, 671 OPS, three homers, 12 RBI. It's very similar to his 206 batting average, 644 OPS, 
four homers, 11 RBI here in basically a month's worth of action in 2020. So it was just such a small sample size to try to judge these guys. And the team ended up playing, you know, a lot better um, than some of these individual numbers indicate. But yeah, it was it was just a strange year all around it. And I think that's just the word to, to describe it all is strange. Yeah. And you know, one thing that's not strange, and it's actually kind of, you know, a, 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 I don't know if it's, a, if it's a bright spot when you want to look towards the future, but you know, this Cubs team, whether or not it'll be the, the same lineup, you know, moving forward, it's the best six-year stretch in Cubs history. They made the postseason five out of the last six years. They won a division title now, three out of the last five seasons. So, Ryan, when you, when you take a look at, at winning and what Theo and, and this Cubs team and, and the core four, what these guys have been able to do in such a short span, I mean, you know, as a kid growing up in Chicago, I mean, all, all you ever really expected was to be able to watch Cubs games. You didn't really count on that postseason. You never really counted on a deep run. But now – I mean, I think it's commonplace for the Cubs to make the postseason, and it's expected for them to win past that first round. I know they weren't able to capture that this year, but that's the new Chicago Cubs, and that's what they do. They win ball games. Yeah, and it's been very impressive, right? I mean, the one thing, when Theo came over from Boston, I mean, he just brings that winning mentality. And now I feel like you're, you know, I don't know what the word is for it, but you're like a product of your own success, right? So now there's that expectation of, over the last four to six years that they've done so well, like now it's even a bigger letdown when you don't make the playoffs, you know? So I just feel like the expectation goes way up and, you know, you see uh, it's just like with Boston. I mean, granted Boston was a, a winning team, but then once they won those world series, Oh, now they're expected to win the world series every yeah. year. That just doesn't happen though. And it's the same with the Cubs, you know, they won in 16 and then, now I haven't got past, you know, the first round or whatever, but you know, it is what it is. Every year is different players. Every year is a different situation. I feel like this one, this year, I mean, you just chalk it up to, you know, the 60 game season and it is what it is, but um, and it's tough to not you can't really make excuses for it. Everybody has to deal with the same thing, but now your expectations of what you're supposed to do as a team is you're supposed to win every year. So and, and, and that's basically the Cubs' job to, to put that winning team out there. It's tough to see a team that's, you know, been doing so well the last six years. And, you know, if they were to say, okay, we're just going to chalk this up and rebuild. Yeah, as a fan, you'd kind of be frustrated about that. But you know what? I think they have enough good players right now as it is and enough good young players that they're not going to have to do that whole rebuilding phase. They're just going to continue to do well. But they're, they are in a tough division. Yeah, and when you talk about being in that tough division, if you want to win ball games, the the, the best you know form of attack it has to be in offense, and that's what we did yeah. not see from the Cubs in the wild card round, and we, we 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 frankly we didn't see it all year long when it came to being able to pile on teams. You know, no disrespect, but it seemed as if all the hits when they won games they came at just the perfect situation. Whether it was Jason Hayward in Milwaukee with with that big blast that you know basically you know, this team was able to ride in that yeah. wave of momentum into the postseason, you know, it's situational hitting. That's what we didn't see this year. And, you know, we didn't see in, in a big implementation of small ball, which like we always talk about, Ryan, you know, that's not illegal to lay down a bunt. I mean, hitting yeah. and running and taking pitches and, and getting on base, just what, what, what by any means necessary clearly is, is the situation that needs to be applied. But like we said, to be able to go out there and not be able to hit in the postseason, it's not just something that we saw. It's also something that, that Theo Epstein saw, you know, we, we talked about it with Mark Grace during a, a Cubs, Cubs live and Cubs post game live. He said, what defines a good at bat? 
Well, a good at bat is the ability to swing at strikes and take all the balls. And that's not necessarily what we always saw with the Cubs, especially in the postseason. We, we know two games, nine hits, just one run. And uh, as, as, as it was evident in, in their, their performance, that's not going to get it done in the postseason. And here, here's Theo about what he thought about the offense when it came to the postseason. I think it's important to take a, a balanced approach, um, recognizing it's, it's important to recognize the unique nature of this year and um, what players had to go through uh, without using it as a crutch or an excuse. It's appropriate to recognize the limitations of a 60 game sample um, relative to a 162 game sample and, and, and what that means. And I can go into further detail on, on both of those things if you guys choose. Um, but it's also important to recognize that these games counted. They were really important. They, they were each game was almost three times as important as as as, as a normal game, and that we were uh, competing, um, giving everything that we had uh, to win. And so, um, just as uh, and, and we can break down the season more if you wish. Um, but just as there was a lot to be proud of with what our players accomplished this year and and what we accomplished as an organization. We also have to own the shortcomings and not, uh, and not write them off as some, you know, product of unique circumstances or short season. And and the reality is that our, you know, our biggest issue this year, the thing that we were not proud of was our offensive production and following the pattern of the last three years, especially when it counted the most down the stretch and into October. So, that's something that we have to own, but any proper assessment of, of things that transpired this year include an, adjust, an adjustment for context and circumstances you know, to, to gain deeper understanding into it. All right, Ryan, just 60 games. And if you really put it under a microscope, you can basically say this was a college season that all these guys yeah. played. For those of those cats that, that never had to go through the rigors of playing college baseball, you have to play a game on a Wednesday, maybe a Thursday, and then you have a, a doubleheader on the weekend, and then you have study hall it mixed in with practice. That's kind of what we saw this season. And for those guys who weren't able to flourish or, or thrive, well, 60 games, it's tough to get it going, and it's tough to keep that pedal to the metal. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I think you saw it. I think at the beginning of the season, for me, what it looked like is that you know, the starting pitching was so great that it kind of overshadowed the lack of hitting, right? So, I mean, I know we kind of had talking about the bullpen too. The bullpen didn't start off very well. So it was kind of, you know, talking about the bullpen not doing very well and the starting pitching doing great. So the hitting kind of went by the wayside, right? But I felt like at the beginning of the year, they were winning the games because they were getting that clutch hit. They were getting that walk off by hobby. They were getting that you know, key three run homer to win the game, but they weren't all collectively doing it together. Right. So, you know, I just felt like the whole year, they all just didn't mess it mesh at once. There was guys that were hitting really great for a certain amount of time and then they would go cold and then they would hit good for a certain amount of time. And then other guys would pick it up, but that's kind of what it helped them out at the beginning of the year that somebody three or four guys would pick up the slack when the other guys didn't. So, you know, it's a tough situation. And how do you go about that? you know, bringing in new guys, do you, um, you know, one thing that I would like to see is, is I would like to see the Cubs get a prototypical leadoff hitter. Now, whatever that is, I don't know, you know, we used to have Dex or the Cubs used to have Dexter Fowler, right? So I just feel like that table setter guy that's going to set the table at the top of the lineup. You know, I would like to see Hap 
Um, and this is all from, from my point of view, but um, I would like to see Hap hitting that two hole, you know, have him, you know, get back to what he was doing at the beginning of the year, take his walks and he's a switch hitter. That way you can push the Rizzo's and the Bryant's and the Bias and the Contreras's down in the order where they can drive those guys in. I feel like they just didn't have a lot of productivity in the RBI department. You know, you had uh, David Bodie who didn't play every day, lead your team in RBIs, you know, right? So that just shows that he came up in key situations and got a big hit. So, um, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see how, this offseason plays out, especially with not knowing what's going to happen for next year, right? Not knowing if there's going to be fans, not knowing if you can go out and get that big free agent. So um, <laughs> just like this year was up in the air, I think there's probably a lot of things that are going to be up in the air for next year as well. Yeah, you know what they always say, the grass is always greener, but I don't know if the grass is always greener on the south side because when it, when it comes to adding different dimensions, like we heard Theo say, you know, if, if Ryan wants to see a prototypical leadoff man, you know, if you look look out there on the south side, not to say the Cubs were going to ever yeah. acquire Tim Anderson, but Tim Anderson, that's what you want at the top of your lineup. We saw him in the postseason yeah. series versus Oakland. I know that the White Sox lost, but nine hits. That man had nine hits in three games. That's what you want. You want a guy that's going to set the table, that's going to lay the silverware out. He's going to put the plates out. He's going to have all your wine glasses, all your water cups. Everything is going to be where you need it. He's going to be on base and at the right time, Tony. And right now, no disrespect to Ian Happ, but you know, we saw him with all that pop in the leadoff hole. That's not necessarily what you want in that one spot. You want a guy that's going to be there. You could set your watch by that's going to be on base. He's going to move, he's going to move things around. He's going to steal bases. And like, like, like Ryan said, it seems as if, you know, Ian had the quiet storm. He's, he's more suited for a two hole. And we, we need, I say we, like I'm sitting there making out the, the lineup card for David <laughs> Ross, but I feel like it's, if the Cubs, they need like, right. Just like Ryan said, that prototypical leadoff guy, that guy who's going to get on base and he's going to score. Yeah. You know, I actually kind of disagree a little bit with both of you guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. It's, it's, Ooh, yeah, I it's, like it. it's the youngster getting in the fold right here. He's probably going to start going all launch angle on. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Tony one change disagrees with where you guys are. Um, but no, you got to so earn that second chain though, Tony. <laughs> so be careful what you say. All right. Hap, as you talked about in the playoffs, Hap had four of those hits, you know, he had two hits in, in each of the games and had a line out as well thrown in there. And I think what he does well is he works the count a lot and, and he, he made strides to, to make more contact, especially in the strike zone this year. And, and he does still have swing and miss as a part of his game, but I think he, he, has developed into a guy that the Cubs want in the leadoff spot. And he's one of the faster guys in their team, you know, a pretty good base runner too can go from first to third. And so I think, you know, of the guys on the roster, sure. He's their, he's their best fit, but I don't think there are too many like prototypical leadoff hitters out there. So, um, but yeah, I think it's really, to me, it's just about diversifying the offense. And I know it's, it's a point you guys have both touched on too, is doing the small ball, you know, doing more than, than kind of all or nothing home run style, baseball which is which is a lot of what we've seen from the Cubs here and I think that's the point you know is is they they need guys that um can make contact more and can because speed doesn't slump and contact doesn't slump for the most part but power does power goes in and out and these guys and for whatever reason have have slumped at the right at the exact same time all together you know and, and we saw that again here for for chunks of 2020 but then in the playoffs as well a lot of the core guys in the middle of that lineup slumped together at the same time. And so, you know, diversifying it and having more at bats like Anthony Rizzo, by the way, who's, you know, a great 
great example of what the Cubs want or Jason Hayward of guys who make a lot of contact can handle pretty much any pitching you throw out there, whether it's a hundred mile an hour or a guy who pitches a lot more like the style of Kyle Hendricks, um, guys who choke up with two strikes and put the ball in play, take their, take their walks and stuff. That's a, a little bit more of, of what the Cubs need and what I think Theo is talking about and has talked about too. So I think that's what we'll see moving forward. I think 2021 and beyond, I think we'll see a, a little bit more, um, dynamic of a Cubs offense in terms of everybody kind of falling into that that power category. Yeah, and Tony, you know, I want to I say something real quick. I, I do agree with you. You know, it is tough to try to find that prototypical leadoff hitter right now. I mean, I don't mind Hap hitting in the leadoff hole. I think he's great there. I just like to see him, you know, he does have that power. So I'd like to does. see him in that two hole and he can go both sides. Just speaking from experience from hitting, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but just speaking from the experience of having been a, a three hole hitter or a five hole hitter and then having to lead off for a, for a, a year it is a totally different mindset, I feel like, even though, you know, you don't kind of try to change your approach. But what I'm saying is, is I just like to see them get an everyday leadoff hitter in there and not have, you know, a Rizzo or a Bryant or a Schwarber have to hit leadoff. I just feel like those guys are, I know you can throw them in there, but I just feel like it's a totally different mindset. And those guys should be in the middle of the order and have a guy like Hap or whoever it may be up in that one or two hole. Yeah, it's almost like a case of, oh, can you do it? Yeah, I can do it, but it's not really what I do. And that's what yeah. we saw from Ian Happ. He held it down in the leadoff spot, you know, quite well this season. But at the end of the day, that's not what he is. He's not a leadoff hitter, even though he can hit in that leadoff spot. And, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's league-wide. It's not just with the Cubs. It's not just with any team in particular. It, it's league-wide when it comes to the, the launch angle generation. I mean, go ahead, hit home runs. And I, I feel like that – that, that's led to a dip in production. Now, when, when your guys are willing to sell out to hit a home run, it, it doesn't matter if you strike out, then we're going to see a dip in some of those numbers because putting the ball in play is not as important as it once was. I mean, we see the shifts that are implemented all around Major League Baseball when it comes to uh, these guys are professional hitters. And, I, and I'm not singling anyone on the Cubs out. This is all baseball. When you have a, a, everyone shifted on one side of the field and you're getting paid seven figures to play a children's game, the fact that these guys aren't saying, okay, you want to shift on me? There's a free hit. Boom, there's a bunt down the third base line. If you're a righty, boom, there's a bunt down the first base line. I'm going to make sure that you're not going to shift on me. And that's really not what we're seeing. And it is because, Ryan, that the home run, it's right now so much at the forefront. And that's what, that's what people want to see. They think that, yeah. okay, home runs are what sells tickets. But you know what? I mean, last time I looked, winning baseball games and, and winning championships, that sells tickets too. And, uh, and, and winning games, whether or not you win them via the home run or you do it via the butt, I mean, winning is the elixir that cures all. Yeah, and I mean, I, I can't really speak. You know, I was still playing in 14 and then a little bit in 15, but like, you know, and, and shifts were being implemented. But I didn't really get shifted a whole lot because I did spray the ball everywhere, you know. I would, you know, take a – uh, a 2-0 pitch and if they threw me away I'd hit it to opposite field right so um, I, I feel like you can lay down the bunts and we have seen it um, I feel like guys just don't do that all the time just because they just don't it, it's not cool right so I don't I don't know the whole um, thing around launch angle I haven't really paid attention to it obviously um, fans want to see the homer and stuff like that but then again you know you live by the homer you die by the homer Right. So you want to have those guys that you can put string some hits together. And then, yeah, you know, we had saw the first um, 
Rizzo's first 10 home runs, I think nine of them were solo shots. You know, you want to get people on base, right? And then have Rizzo hit that homer and get that two, three run homer. So, I mean, I think homers are great. Um, and me personally, not being a guy that hit very many of them, I always looked at where did that home run come in the game and how did it affect the game, right? So how did it affect – did I hit a solo home run when I, my team was down by – you know, seven runs, you know, I mean, that's great to hit a homer, but it didn't help us win the ball game, like you said. So um, it just goes hand in hand. But I think this day and age, there's just so much uh, stats and technology and where guys hit the ball. And, you know, there's an adjustment within the adjustment, within the adjustment of the game with the pitcher, with the defense, with, you know, one thing last year and this year and seeing and is the whole, you know, pulling the, uh, the card out of your back pocket, right? And seeing where guys, where you're supposed to play guys and this and that. You know, when I, when I was out there, it was like, look at your outfield coach. All right, come in. All right, no doubles. All right, go back, you know, hit throw to second base. But um, now it's just so different. It's almost like you prepare so much for the game. And then um, even, when, even when a pitcher's on the mound, he's like pulls out a card out of his back pocket looking out a pitch a guy, you know? So um, I'm not saying that's wrong by any means, but I'm just – I'm kind of a baseball purist from that standpoint. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like uh, Scotty Smalls from the Sandlot has uh, made his way and infiltrated front offices. And uh, like Benny the Jet says to him, like, hey, man, you, th- you think too much. I bet you get straight A's. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get straight A's. I got a B once. Well, actually, it was an A minus, but it should have been a B. But it's like you start to outthink yourself. And that's, that's where we're currently at right now. Everyone wants to swing for home runs. And if, if I had to do a survey and, and go out there and, and look, even though it's only a 60-game sample season, Tony, I would I would have to imagine that there's more batting average under, more batting averages under 250 than we've ever seen in the history of Major League Baseball. And if it would have been a 162 game season, something tells me we'd see even more batting averages under 250. And the fact that that's okay, like this is this is your generation, man. You're the youngster on this podcast, Tony. I mean, if you're all right with guys hitting 30 home runs but batting 215, that that, that that's cool. I'd, I'd rather have a guy that hits two home runs and bats 300 and puts me in a situation to win. Yeah, I mean, that's an, that is an interesting debate, right? Like, where I've seen it out there before. Would you rather have a guy that hits 333 but also slugs 333 and has an on-base percentage of 333, or would you rather have a guy that, like, hits 200 with a 333 on-base percentage and a 500 slugging percentage and it's a lot of homers or something? I mean, obviously, the latter guy is overall more productive, but – the 333 batting average is huge. Even if it's all singles, that's, that's helpful. You know, it's, it's moving the baseball, it's moving runners. There's so, and that's, I think the point here with the Cubs is you need a little bit of both. You need both Mm -hmm. not all in one category. And, you know, Cole, to your point, batting averages are down. It's, it's a league wide trend and it has been this entire decade. And I think last year was the first year, right? Where there were more strikeouts than base hits in major for the first time ever. This year, you know, obviously, I'm sure I, I don't know what the final tally is, but but that's going to be the same. And yeah, it's just it's become so much more difficult for shifting for all these pitchers coming on. I mean, first of all, pitchers aren't throwing 120 pitches anymore. So like you're getting relievers who come out, everybody throws 100 miles an hour. Yeah, he has nasty breaking stuff. We saw what Sixto Sanchez did to Cubs, and he only threw five innings, you know, against him, and then got into the bullpen. So. It is, it's so difficult to hit in this environment, but that's what I think the overarching point is for the Cubs is diversifying. It's getting those guys that you like, Cole, that put, put the ball in play, that hit for a high average, and then getting those other guys that, that hit the homers, that take the walks. Maybe they strike out a bit more, but fitting all those guys together 
and, and forming a lineup. And that's what Theo and Jed Hoyer in the Cubs front office is going to try to do. Yeah, hey, hey, awesome. hey, uh, Cole, could you go be a GM of a team? Because if you were a GM of a team, I'd probably still be playing right now. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll tell you what, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, it's funny because, you know, the, the ability – to be able to pull the trigger on those 100 mile an hour guys because we see like we see them every single every single game coming in there you know like like Tampa they're talking about it. we had we have a whole bullpen full of dudes that throw 98 miles an hour so you would think that there would be a different approach that since you're not going to see these guys you know for a third maybe fourth at bat and you're seeing all these specialty pitchers come in hey hitting home runs off of these cats not going to be the easiest thing to do so what do we want to do? We want to put the ball in play and, and then go station to station and then maybe score runs that way. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I have just an old school thought process. But being able – when you talk about launch angle, look, look at Barry Bonds. Go back before that. Look, look at Willie Mays. Go back before that. Look at Babe Ruth. And I, maybe I'm going a little too far back in baseball history. But all these guys hit tons of bombs and no one ever said anything about launch angle. You can even look at A-Rod. A-Rod's part of the six, 600 home run club. And A-Rod, what, how many times did he uh, use launch angle to his, to his uh, ability? I don't think so. That's not what those guys did, and they still were able to hit home runs. You put a solid swing. Even Albert Pujols. Imagine if someone would have told Albert Pujols, okay, swing up, and then maybe you'll hit home <laughs> runs. I, I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm just an old dude in the barbershop, and when I, when I leave, all the kids are going to laugh at me. But I, I don't think a lot of guys would really be satisfied with, with those, those, those 215, 220 batting averages if you go back 25 years ago, right? Yeah, I mean. The Simpsons meme right now, Cole, where like the old man yells at Cloud. Like that's <laughs> just like the podcast version of this at the moment. Yeah, but the clouds that I'm, I was yelling at, they could at least bat, you know, 285 to 300. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what I was always taught is, you know, bat in the zone, right? Get the bat in the zone and then, you know, your plate discipline, right? So swing, like you said, what Grace said, swinging at good pitches. But I think, like you said, this day and age with, um, you know, the shifts. And then the other thing that people don't think about is, you know, those hits that maybe would have been hits before there was replay. Now they go back and, oh, they overturn it. So it wasn't a hit. I mean, that makes a huge factor, right? When you're, when you're playing and you maybe beat out that one and they called you safe, but they go back and now you're out. So you could have been one for four and said you're over four. So I think there's just a lot of different aspects to the game now that are different and we're kind of going all over off subject, but um, you know, it, bottom line comes down to um, hitting the baseball, right. And uh, putting together productive at bats. And um, I was always a person that never had a premeditative swing. Yeah. There was some times where I'd be like, Hey man, I'm going to go up there and try to launch this first pitch, you know, but within the zone, not swinging at it in other batter's box. <laughs> yeah, hitting the ball where it's pitched, I think that's one of the best recipes for success. And if you go back and look at baseball over the years, you know, I challenge some of the youngsters, Tony, I'm looking at you, to, to, to go and, and, and watch uh, baseball with Ken Burns baseball. Because I, if you look at some of those swings, as pure as they are, no, no one ever said anything about launch angle back then. And, you know, it's not, it's not a knock on today's game because it, it is league-wide. We don't see, like I said, we don't see it with any one team specifically. It's every single team around Major League Baseball. And they have those anomalies, those guys who, who don't necessarily subscribe to launch angle. And, and wh whether or not they're putting up the numbers, that's still yet to be determined. But, you know, when it comes to numbers, of course – you know, we'd like to see the Cubs continue 
to rattle off some of those playoff numbers. We, we want to see them make it to the sixth postseason in seven years. We want to see them win a fourth division title in six seasons. And, you know, Theo Epstein, he's been one of the main straws that stirred that drink when it comes to winning. And his future right now, it's somewhat hanging in the balance, Tony. We know he's going to stay through 2021 and the remainder of his contract. But, you know, when we heard him speak, you know, one thing that, that I heard, it, it just didn't seem – like the same Theo, not to say, not, not to say he didn't sound like the same Theo, but he sounded as if, okay, the end is near 2021. That's when I'll be moving on. Cause he, he kept making references to a new challenge and the Cubs, they were that new challenge after he won in Boston. So, you know, maybe he's you know looking to test the waters and win another championship somewhere else just to prove to everyone. Okay. Theo Epstein is indeed a baseball genius and he can do it with whatever team you put in front of him. Yeah, and I think um, there's always a theme for these Theo end-of-season pressers, right? They, they usually go over an hour, and, and he kind of has a theme that he doesn't necessarily hammer, but just kind of brings up a lot over and over again throughout. Like there was the reckoning in the past or how the offense kind of broke down the stretch in 2018. I think the theme for this one in 2020 was transition. And, and he talked about it exactly as you said, Cole. He talked about his own future, and he talked about transition potentially with the Cubs offense, as we've just been discussing here on the pod. And um, but yeah, with Theo, he's always said, and he even said right when he first started in the end of uh, towards the end of 2011, when he first joined the Cubs front office, is that do something for 10 years and then enjoy a new challenge. And he's kind of maintained that for a while. And after 2021 is up, that'll be 10 years. And he spent 10 years in Boston before that. So it's it makes a lot of sense and he talked about it even even in this final end of season presser that change could be good for the organization as well as it, it's not just individually with him to the eyes a fresh perspective all of that kind of stuff and so that's what it seems like you know it seems like um there's a transition period coming at some point we don't know exactly when that will be maybe it'll be after 2021 maybe it'll be after 2022 and he'll come back for another year after next season we don't know for sure, but yeah, it definitely seems like um, there's there's kind of a uh, there's a changing of the guard that's going to be happening at some point, and it seemed like he was preparing everybody for that, and that that's going to be something that's going to happen, which is also as as he said, it's inevitable. It, at some point, he wasn't going to do this forever. He wasn't going to be the president of baseball operations until 2090. Like that that wasn't going to happen. There was going to be a change at some point, just like David Ross won't manage forever. Anthony Rizzo won't play at first base forever. Things will change. So I think that's kind of the, the transition period that Theo's talking about. That was a common theme of, of everything he said. And it is a transition period for the Cubs right now. Yeah, so basically Theo's message was, uh, I'm here for a good time, but I'm not here for a much longer of a time. Because Theo, as we know, his contract comes to a close in 2021. And perhaps we'll see him move on to greener pastures so to speak, but uh, say whatever, for whatever reason, he pulls all the right moves when it comes to updating the offense, the, the pitching staff, and getting some of those puzzle pieces in place. Ryan, do you think maybe we see Theo stay and that, that new challenge is trying to rebuild the Cubs and win another championship? I don't know, maybe, but he kind of seems like that guy that, you know, he, he, he needs a new challenge, right? I mean, I think he's, he's won a World Series with Boston, a couple, and he's won one with uh, the Cubs. And you, you hate to see – you hate to lose a guy like that in your organization, right? Just so baseball smart. And I'm going to say on a personal level, like just an all-around good guy, you know. In, in my experience um, coming up and playing for different teams, like guys or front office or whoever it may be would always say, yeah, you know, my door's open. Always come talk to me. We'll shoot you straight. Well – 
I feel like a lot of organizations, they don't really shoot you straight. But the one time when I came over with the Cubs and I talked to Theo, everything that he said he was going to do, he did, right? And everything that he always, you know, I feel like they always, on a, on a player level and a personal level, you know, really genuinely cared about how you did or how you do. And, um, you know, Theo's just an all-around good guy. You don't want to lose him, but I don't know. Do I see him staying in, in Chicago? We'll have to see over this next year and see what happens with, um, you know, this whole COVID thing for next year, too, and how he can be able to – what funds he is going to have available to go out and see what guys he can kind of pick up. But, you know, he's, he does kind of seem to me now with being here, now that you say that, being in Boston for 10 years and now being with the Cubs for 10 years, that – maybe he, he will take on a new chapter and try to go to another team that's up and coming that he can kind of put his uh, little twist on. Yeah, it'd be crazy to see. Maybe there, there's a, a challenge for him in Anaheim. Well, who knows if that pairing with mm -hmm. he and Joe Madden will work, but everybody in the entire universe knows that it sure would be a shame to see Mike Trout play his career and not even have any kind of postseason success, not necessarily even a World Series championship, but if there'd be anybody to bring that out there on the West Coast in Anaheim, it may be Theo would be that guy, but, but who knows? Only time will tell right there. We know that there still needs to be changes to the offense and to the pitching rotation, as Theo intimated towards yesterday during that end of the season speech. And uh, Tony, when you, when you look at everything that Theo has laying in front of him, could that next challenge, could it actually be trying to get the Cubs back on the right track when it comes to winning? We know that they're still winning, but he wants to win a World Series. And, and if he makes a few little tweaks to that offense, you know, get some guys in there that get on base and then the, the big bats that can push him across. And if that pitching staff falls into, into place like it needs to, and like, you know, you've seen some of the building blocks, there's, there's Kyle Hendricks, there's Hugh Darvish, there's Alec Mills, who knows what's going to happen with, with John Lester or Tyler Chatwood or some of the other guys that are X factors right now. But if things fall into place, this could be Theo's next challenge. Maybe the next 10 years could see him still at Wrigley Field. Yeah, you know, I think either way it is his next challenge. And, and I think it's, um, it's a good point, too, and exactly what Ryan was saying about the, the character of who Theo is. He's, even if he is out at the end of 2021 and, and the speculation as we're talking about plays out and rings true, he wants to leave this organization in a great position. He, he, he even said that, that he cares. He's just as excited and passionate about being a Cub right now as he was signed on in November 2011 and he wants to make sure that that you know the organization is in a great spot whenever it is that he leaves and so yeah he's going to need to go out and, and address the rotation and you know Alec Mills Edward Elzelay at the moment look like guys that would slide into that spot maybe John Lester would be back I think there's a, a pretty mutual fit there interest on both sides but yeah moving forward you know you got Kimbrell locked in as closer and then there are some question marks in the bullpen and as we mentioned you know diversifying this offense and stuff too. So there are, there are a lot of things um, kind of on the Cubs offseason to-do list. So it is a challenge for sure for Theo, for the, for Jed Hoyer, for Jason McLeod, for the rest of the Cubs front office right now. And, and I think that the point too, is that, you know, Theo, he really does want to leave this in a, in a good spot, whenever it is that he's up. So we'll see, we'll see if that's 2021 or not, but either way, you know, the long-term future of the organization, it, it, it's a factor for all these guys. 
Absolutely. And with Theo Epstein, his, his contract coming to a close in 2021, he, like you said, Tony, he does want to leave that organization in, in a good spot. He doesn't want to do like the Detroit Lions. And apparently, like Matt Patricia says, he's like, oh, yeah, the, yeah, there were problems before, even though that team, all they did was win football games with Jim Caldwell before. But we're, we're talking Cubs baseball. We're not talking about Detroit Lions <laughs> football. I just want to take a punch and a jab at the Detroit Lions because of the, the shambles of a franchise that they currently are. But, you know, Theo Epstein, all about ownership and accountability. He makes no excuse excuses like my man Ryan Sweeney who said he can't go golfing on Wednesday because uh, he said he can't he can't find a babysitter but I see his clubs there behind him there he's like getting them all cleaned up I I think he just didn't want to take that L on the course I'm even coming out to his neck of the woods he lives right up the street from my mom and dad I picked a course that would be right by his house Tony and uh, Ryan starts making excuses man he doesn't want any of that smoke on the course yeah I mean I, I don't Ryan are you more of a contact hitter golf wise or are you, are you launching <laughs> I am not launching. I, I rely on my short game, but being a big dude, you would think I hit it far. I rely on my more of my accuracy, I would say, but my driver is my weakest club in my back. I'm a better iron and <laughs> iron player and putter for sure. And I would say a par five. What's that? <laughs> Reach them all in two and then four putt for bogey. That's the story of my round. But, uh, you know, guys, it's been a pleasure as always here. Our time, it is up. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast brought to you by Trust. And don't forget, you can download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can do so and you can do it today. For Tony Andracki and Ryan Sweeney, I'm Cole Wright. Gang, we'll see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your week.